Good morning. It's Thursday, April 22nd. I'm Shamita Basu. And I'm Duarte Geraldino. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. Today, President Biden is setting a new target for the United States, a 50 percent reduction in greenhouse gas emissions by 2030. This ambitious goal is going to be a key part of the White House's virtual summit on climate change, which starts today. Forty world leaders, including 17 countries that produce 80 percent of all global emissions, are expected to attend. But will Biden's new target be enough to avert ecological disaster? When it comes to climate change, what Biden is trying to do is reestablish the U.S. as a leader. But the Wall Street Journal says this isn't going to be easy. When Donald Trump walked away from the Paris Climate Accord in 2017, he immediately rolled back the kind of regulations that were supposed to bring U.S. emissions down. Even before Trump, the U.S. was not on track to limit what's projected to be a three degrees Celsius rise in global temperatures. President Obama had set a goal of a 25 percent cut by 2035, which scientists say wouldn't have been enough. But climate leadership also comes with climate diplomacy. And Biden is going to have to decide how the U.S. should push other countries to reach similar goals. Some developing nations are now asking world powers for financial commitments to help offset losses from moving away from fossil fuels. Brazil's president, Jair Bolsonaro, made a pretty bold offer to the Biden administration this week. You give Brazil $1 billion and the Bolsonaro administration will reduce deforestation in the Amazon by 40 percent. Biden also needs China, which is the world's biggest polluter, to raise its own climate commitments. And he'll need to convince skeptics, including a lot of Republicans here at home, that those commitments from China are solid. If Biden does manage to cut greenhouse gas emissions in half by 2030, it could avert what scientists say would be the worst consequences of climate change. NPR examines what it's going to take for the U.S. to hit this target. One analysis estimates that solar, wind and other renewables would need to produce about half of the country's electricity. And that's something we're just not on track to meet at the moment. Another area that NPR looks at, transportation. It's our largest source of emissions in this country. To make serious cuts there, NPR writes the U.S. can encourage people to buy electric cars, maybe with tax incentives or trade-in programs. And the last area that NPR identifies as a major environmental ding is industrial facilities and homes. The U.S. will need to invest in researching new industrial technologies that are less energy-intensive— And same for homes and buildings, which could be made more energy efficient if the administration commits to phasing out natural gas. There's only nine years to go to meet Biden's emissions goal. And experts say the key here is going to be speed. Gwen Levy was sentenced to 24 years for conspiracy to sell heroin. She's 75 years old now but still has eight years left on that sentence. Last year, she was one of thousands of people in federal prisons who got to leave life behind bars and serve out her sentence at home. Now, the Justice Department did this to slow the spread of COVID-19 in federal facilities. But now, because of a Justice Department memo written in the final days of the Trump administration, Levy and thousands of people like her 
may have to return to prison to finish their sentences. The Washington Post reports lawmakers and justice reform advocates are putting pressure on the Biden administration to rescind this memo. Just this month, 28 members of Congress sent a letter to Biden arguing that leaving this policy in place will not only be a waste of tax dollars, but it'll also harm people who've now been deemed not dangerous to society. The director of the Bureau of Prisons, Michael Carvajal, testified before the Senate last week, and he said, because Biden extended the national emergency, there's no immediate plan to send anyone back to these facilities. He also said, all prisoners in federal facilities will be offered a vaccine by mid-May. But he added, the Bureau needs some guidance on what to do when this crisis is over. For anyone to believe that we arbitrarily want to disrupt the lives of these people after we've put them out. If they have successfully been out there, we're going to use good judgment and common sense and work within the law to make sure that we place them appropriately. The Washington Post reports that since Levy's been out, she's been wearing an ankle monitor and she regularly reports to a case manager. She's also been able to rebuild relationships with her son and her grandchildren, and she now lives with her 94-year-old mother. She's worried she'll have to leave her mom if, because of that memo, she's forced back into federal prison. As climate change fuels more extreme weather each year, it seems like you keep on hearing about more and more people losing their homes to wildfires, floods, or other climate-related disasters. But what you may not be hearing is that there's a pretty healthy market for these damaged or, in some cases, totally wrecked properties. The risk of another climate disaster doesn't change, but investors are scooping up these properties and flipping them for a profit. Now housing experts are warning this climate-fueled real estate bubble is eventually going to burst. And when it does, it could send a shock through the U.S. economy. Time magazine talks to Anna Zimmerman. She lives in Charleston, South Carolina, In 2015, her home was damaged by a flood. She didn't even know that flooding was a possibility when she bought the home 10 years earlier. Still, she used her insurance money to fix it up. Two years later, again, she got hit with a hurricane. The house was flooded, and insurers declared it a total loss. At that point, she was trying to figure out what to do. It felt wrong to sell the house to someone else, even though she had plenty of people offering to buy. She eventually allowed her home to go into foreclosure. And soon, the house was up for sale again by the federally-backed mortgage lender Fannie Mae. Time says this scenario is happening over and over again all across the U.S. These at-risk houses are still selling for prices that don't seem to fully consider the risks. There could be multiple reasons for this. Aggressive selling by flippers, lack of information about the underlying danger, or even carelessness. But Time warns that as houses continue to get battered by more frequent, more extreme weather events, eventually there could come a point where banks stop lending. Owners of destroyed properties won't have any option but to allow them to go into foreclosure. And a mass default could trigger an economic shock, much like the recession in 2008. Last year, Time spoke to Brian Dees. He's now President Biden's chief economic advisor. Dees pointed to this climate risk as, quote, more pressing on the market today than most market participants understand. And Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says climate change is an existential risk to the U.S. financial system. She recently created a climate hub at the Treasury Department. And there are other changes being made at the federal and local level to try to avoid another housing crisis. 
FEMA has restarted an initiative, one that was halted during the Trump administration, that would make the cost of flood insurance better reflect the risks. But time warns what really needs to happen is a total reevaluation of the way we live. Some homes, some entire communities will need to be adapted, and others will need to be abandoned altogether. Back in 1879, a botanist named William Beale wanted to know how long seeds can lie dormant underground and still be able to sprout. He designed an experiment to find out, and it's still going on today. A group of scientists recently performed the latest installment of this multi-century study. NPR brings us this story. So back in the 1800s, Beale took 20 glass bottles, filled them with this sandy seed mixture, and buried those bottles in a secret location on what is now the campus of Michigan State University. And he kept the location private because he didn't want these seeds to be disturbed. His idea was that every five years, one bottle would get dug up to check if the seeds inside would still germinate. And when Beale retired in 1910, he passed this experiment on to a younger colleague. And that system has continued ever since. As the study was passed down, the caretakers of this experiment decided to stretch out the length of time between each bottle. Now researchers dig up a bottle every 20 years. NPR spoke with Frank Toluski. He's a plant biology professor and one of the caretakers. He helped dig up a bottle in the year 2000, and yes, the seeds sprouted after more than a century. And now he's passing the torch to three colleagues, two of whom are the first women to work on this project in its 142-year history. So here's what happened on a recent morning. It's around 4 a.m. A small group of these scientists gathered on Michigan State University's campus to dig up a bottle. It was immediately taken to a lab for the seeds to be analyzed and spread into a tray of potting soil. And now the researchers are waiting to see if any of these seeds sprout. And NPR points out that even these new caretakers who are all in their 30s and 40s they won't see the end of this experiment. It's likely to last another 80 years. There's still four bottles left in the ground. You can find all these stories and more in the Apple News app. And while you're there, check out some of our audio stories. We'll talk with you again tomorrow. 